0: Fresh Art International presents conversations about creativity in the 21st century. This is Fresh Art. I'm Kathy Byrd. Our podcast documents the oral history of contemporary art, film, and architecture. This August, we head out on a field expedition to New York, New England, and the Mid Atlantic. While we're away, listen for a streaming selection of podcast episodes from the rich audio archive we've been building since 2011. Today, we revisit Contemporary Art and the Black Imagination, a show we streamed from the Jolt Studio November 2, 2016. Here's the most recent news we have on those whose voices you'll hear in this program. First, we share a 2013 episode recorded with curator Valerie Cassell-Oliver. She was working at the Contemporary Arts Museum, Houston, when we spoke with her. Cassell-Oliver is now curator of Modern and Contemporary Art at the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts, where she's expanding representation of African-American, and African diasporic artists in the collection. As for Miami-based creatives, curator Natalia Zuluaga continues to edit name publications. She's launched and is co-editor of the bilingual online journal Dispatches. This summer, Zuluaga curates Materia Abierta, a program on theory, art, and technology and Mexico City. Artist Domingo Castillo has been working under the radar since visualizing the complexities of Miami's future in his 2017 video, Tropical Malaise. In 2019, among other projects, artist Jamila Sabour presented a five-channel video installation at the Hammer Museum in Los Angeles and she showed a commissioned video at Hudson Yards in New York. Amir George, co-founder of the touring visual shorts program, Black Radical Imagination, continues to engage in cinema culture. Mikhail Solomon, founding director of Prism Art Fair, is preparing for the fair's seventh year Today, our conversations center on Black contemporary art, performance, sound art, film, and collecting. We'll begin with an excerpt of my 2013 conversation with curator Valerie Cassell-Oliver at the Museum of Contemporary Art in Houston, Texas. Valerie talks about all that's yet to be explored about Black contemporary art. This episode features her curatorial project, Radical Presence, Black Performance, and Contemporary Art. Today, I'm in Houston at the Contemporary Arts Museum with senior curator Valerie Cassell Oliver. I've been following Valerie's work since the year she was one of five curators of the 2000 Whitney Biennial. Since then, she's conceived a number of significant exhibitions. In 2011, Valerie received the David C. Driscoll Prize for her contribution to the field of African-American art history. Valerie talks about what it means to be a curator and how everything starts with a question.
1: I feel that when you're working in a contemporary context, you're sort of writing history as it happens. And so I don't really think of it in terms of the sort of historical um, context that I'm a historian as much as I am a, um, someone who is creating things that can be t- contextualized in, in a later time and place um, in, the, in the future, but rather a, a person who links and bridges things together. So, um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, one of the things I did when I was at UT was I studied, um, you know journalism, and uh, and that I think everything starts with a question, and so uh, it is about really investigating um, ideas and questions that I either um, hear being batted around by others or questions that arise in my own mind. Um, I'm always curious what's missing and what isn't. I noticed
0: that that's been the motivation for some of your biggest projects. Uh, The Double Consciousness, Black Conceptual Art since the 1970s that you did in 2005, and Black Light, White Noise in 2007. The project we were just speaking of earlier with Andrea Barnwell Brownlee at Spelman and here in Houston, Cinema Remixed and Reloaded, Black Women Artists in the Moving Image, and now Radical Presence. Yes. The full title is Radical Presence, Black Performance and Contemporary Art, and it's the first survey of its kind. Tell me about the genesis of that.
1: Well, the, the project um, came out of the, the other project, um, That um, was Benjamin Patterson, who is an African-American Fluxus artist uh, uh, born in the state of Fluxus, which was done in 2010. And as I was working on double consciousness, um, I began really looking at Ben Patterson's work. And I thought of including him in the double consciousness exhibition and realized that his practice had a genesis, um, really, that predated the whole conceptual art um, practice and so uh, led me to Fluxus.
0: Here's an excerpt of The Pond, one of Ben Patterson's performance works from 1962. <laughs> Fluxus, an international network of artists, composers, and designers, blended different artistic media and disciplines in the 1960s. Fluxus continues to influence contemporary
1: performance art. Valerie explains just how much. In working with fluxes, which sort of blends these various disciplines together, um, Patterson emerging out of a sort of classical music field, people coming out of literature and theater and uh, the visual arts, it was uh, what became, to me, a sort of foundation for the way contemporary artists work. Everything that they tackled really became the forebears of what we hold high today, um, video art, performance work. And I mean, so um, I really look at that as a sort of foundational moment for contemporary practice. And um, in working on that, of course, I met a lot of younger artists who were really influenced by Fluxus and were really influenced by Ben Patterson, but knew nothing about him. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it really... Uh, made mounting that retrospective all the more essential to lay a sort of foundation and uh, create a sort of place where the genealogy of contemporary practice, especially by artists of color, could point back and say, I can trace my, my uh, artistic legacy and lineage to this person. So that sort of then... Uh, brought to the fore um, conversations about who were other progenitors of certain practices, and particularly in performance
0: work. Valerie talks about three generations of black performance artists.
1: I have a particular bias to someone like Ben Patterson, who was a radical presence amidst a very radical practice. And so I really do sort of celebrate his practice as, you know, as really being um, the cornerstone to a large degree. And I think certainly there are people who will celebrate Adrian Piper, who is a tremendous talent, and uh, David Hammond's as sort mm-hmm. of being uh, definitely up there. But then there are also people like Singan and Gudi, and Maren Hassinger and Papacolo, and Ulysses Jenkins, and they're all equally important and you know and essential. And then, you know, each generation I think brings to the fore something quite extraordinary for their time. You've staged throughout the exhibition these
0: performances with the participants.
1: Yes. We've made space within the physical exhibition to to somehow bridge object with action so that people can really see, because the exhibition is varied. I mean, there are the relics of performances or what people would call props, I guess, in a, in a theater setting. There are the um, structures and installations that people have performed with. There are the objects that have been created through performance, documentation, and, uh, items such as, you know, the body prints, which, you know, things, and so there's just this really wide swath of how one can talk about it within a visual context. And uh, I thought, while it was certainly ambitious, uh, it, I don't think you can truly divorce the energy and the action from the object. I just think it's really one of those extraordinary moments that you can, Go into a space and it's charged, and, and precisely because of all of this energy that artists have brought into the
0: space. Here's the sound of the arena, a wrestling match that New York-based artist Sean L.C. Leonardo was invited to stage during Radical Presence. So during this exhibition, Houston-based artist Trenton Doyle Hancock presents Devotion, a reiteration of his 1998 performance Off Color.
1: In Devotion, which is a very, very different take, very different tenor about it, um, it is about what he has consumed in his life from his family. Um, he's fed, but as he's fed, this these bowls of jello, he's also being taught, and uh, the words that we're speaking are words from a song. I love the Lord. It's an old gospel song, and so to speak those words to him is literally feeding him, feeding him spiritually, feeding him physically, uh, and then he then um, responds to that.
2: I love Lord, heard my cry. I, I love them,
0: you know. According to Valerie, Many dimensions of today's black art call for investigation.
1: There's so much. I mean, if you think about, and, I mean, there's so much in the field of contemporary art, period. Because artists are always generating new questions that interrogate traditional ways. And contemporary art is always looking at where is the evolution taking place? But if we're talking specifically about how African-Americans or people of African um, descent move through the field of contemporary art, I mean, the history of that practice and the history of how people have worked is still so very nascent. There's so much that hasn't even been covered. The picture of that practice is still so fragmented. Uh, There's a tremendous amount of work that needs to be done.
0: Now back to the artist who triggered Radical Presence. Here's Ben Patterson revisiting his 1960 performance, Ant, in 2010. episode is a great segue to our conversations about black contemporary art that's coming to Miami this fall. And some of it's already here. Let's listen to an excerpt of Konick Sections, composed by Heinrich Müller of the Detroit techno group Drexia. Gerald Donald, the Detroit-based musician behind this group, is known as an Afrofuturist, and I think that's really important for our conversation to come. Importantly, though, he prefers not to identify himself with any particular race or ethnicity. With Drexia, the artist made techno music on which an Afrofuturist mythology was built. And to me, I love this backstory. I just think it's fascinating. The Drexians, an underwater race, are the descendants of the African women thrown overboard in the transatlantic slave trade. And their songs had marine and marine themes and titles. Conic Sections, on the other hand, is a new work that conjures an image of a plane changing its angle in flight and intersecting a conical airspace. We're going to listen to a minute of that right now just to get you warmed up for our next conversation. Bird, thanks for tuning in to the Fresh Art International Show on JoltRadio.org in Miami, Florida. This is a contemporary art talk show with global dimensions. That was an excerpt of Koenig Sections, produced by Heinrich Muller, formerly of the Detroit techno group Drexia, for the exhibition titled An Image. This multifaceted exhibition project is being presented at Art Center, South Florida, and other venues on Miami Beach. Today, we're talking about the black sound art and film presented in this exhibition. I've invited curators Natalia Zuluaga and Domingo Castillo and filmmakers Amir George and Jamila Sabour to join me in the studio. Natalia, Domingo, and Jamila are based in Miami, so they're sitting here with me. And Amir is headed to Miami later this week to host a special screening. He is calling in from Northampton, Massachusetts. Natalia and Domingo, I want to start with you. You're the curators of this show. Thanks for being here.
3: Thank you. you for having us.
0: Well, I'll give you a couple of facts about these two. Natalia Zuluaga has worked in the Miami art scene as a manager of exhibitions and publishing with the Cisneros Fontanelles Art Foundation, and she was recently named Artistic Director of Art Center South Florida. Congratulations. Thank you. Domingo, I've known since I moved here almost, he's a Miami-based artist and one of three founders of a gallery that has changed its name frequently since I've known them. It's currently known as Noguchi Breton. You've been in conversation with the ideas behind this exhibition for a while now.
1: Yes. It's kind of an ongoing topic.
0: I'm interested to know, because we were just listening to Valerie Cassell-Oliver, and she mentioned how all exhibitions start with questions. What questions sparked this idea for an image?
3: I think more than a question, it was how to find a public moment for a series of ideas that Domingo and I had been talking about for such a long time. So that there was only a limited amount of space and a limited amount of time to engage with these ideas of the image, right? Which were big enough to kind of occupy our friendship for several years. And so these particular public moments were opportunities and outings for those ideas to find form and find space and actually find an audience from which to share these conversations with.
0: That makes sense. And when I visited the Art Center to meet you last week and look at the show, you revealed to me how the exhibition and the gallery itself serve as a stage for all these other activities, as you say, that you want to bring to light or bring to ears and eyes. And the conic sections is just, and this black radical imagination film screening that Amir George is bringing to the project are really important to this. Um, I thought it's important for us, since we talked about Afrofuturism, that maybe we define what that means in the context of these works.
1: Sure. Um So the way that we kind of understood it for our exhibition was that who's making images, who's generating images, that kind of like push into a look far into the future so then we can actually redirect ourselves towards that in the present. So um, Afrofuturism provides an alternate route to to our current reality.
0: And I think just to give some words that help maybe others that don't know that word, Afrofuturism. It's a creative aesthetic that combines elements of science fiction and historical fiction and fantasy and Afrocentricity. I love that word. Uh, Magic realism with non-Western cosmologies in order to critique present-day dilemmas uh, of people of color, but also just to revise and interrogate, reexamine historical events and how things are unfolding today. I think that's going to come up uh, in my conversation with you, Jamila, right? And Amir. Um, why do you think it's important to include representations of the black imagination, Afrofuturism, uh, in, your, in your project?
1: Um, we're looking at practitioners. Yeah. I mean, it's just like people that are generating images that are... Con- that are um, completely aware of the generation of that image and what that has the power that that has
3: i think also going back to what domingo said i think thinking about alternate routes like you know people we create images we have to create alternate visions for our future that replace and recalibrate what our conditions are now and i feel like you know the after futures project much like black radical imagination does that it creates platforms of visibility to discuss these things and I find that really important to address in any stage. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: We did talk when we were together last week about the fact the visibility of black art, for example, in in the market, in museums and all that, that that's that is an element of visibility that you're um, you're addressing not saying we're going to do black art, but that we want to represent the full spectrum of the image.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I think that in many ways, um, it, these are these are images and references to images. These are traditions that Domingo and I are both actually quite committed to. And so these ideas were ones that we also wanted to share with our
0: public and audience. So yes. I think it's a time to introduce our our filmmaker that's here in the studio with us today. Amir George is the one that's brought this black radical imagination, is bringing it this uh, weekend to Miami Beach to the Cinematheque, and he's a filmmaker based in Chicago with uh, Los Angeles-based curator Aaron Cristobal. He created this touring program that's titled, Black Radical Imagination. And it involves screenings that delve into new media, video art, and experimental narratives. And it's gonna be a pretty exciting show. He introduced me to you, Jamila Sabour. Welcome.
4: Hi, thanks for having me, Kathy.
0: I understand you were born in St. Andrew Paris in Jamaica, one of my favorite destinations.
4: Yes, yes, <laughs> And you're based
0: in Miami now. I
4: am, yes. And it's
0: funny, once he introduced us, I see you everywhere. <laughs> so that's great. Uh, your work involves performance, video, and installation. Mm-hmm. And for this project, um, I think it's important that Amir selected your work. It's a piece called Medical Gaze, um, a, a short experimental film, yep. And you've written that the work is about uh, an ingrained fear that's part of Jamaican identity. Let's talk about what that is after we hear an excerpt from sure. the film, uh, the soundtrack that you shared with me, and then we'll explain why right. this, these lyrics uh, <laughs> are good. in the film. Sounds good.
2: To Lucifer, space, to find another Mornings. I'm gonna Lucifer. chase you. Out of earth, sun of the morning. I'm gonna put on a iron shirt. Out of earth, chase Satan out of earth. Put on a iron shirt. I'm gonna put on a iron shirt. Out of earth, and I'm gonna chase the devil out of earth. I'm, gonna send, I'm, gonna, send I'm gonna send him to outer space out of earth to find another race send him to outer space send him to outer space another race to find another I'm gonna race send him to, to outer space satan is an evil assigned.
0: Jamila, that sounds like a pretty scary help. film. <laughs> Amir's calling in now. There you are. Hi. Welcome. I'm glad you're here.
5: Yeah. Uh, thanks for having me.
0: We just played an excerpt of Medical Gaze, and we're about mm-hmm. to talk about the fear and the resolution of this fear that's represented in your film, Jamila. Right.
4: right. So that, that, um, the excerpt that you just heard um, is a recitation. So I recited the verses from a really famous 1976 Jamaican reggae song by Max Romeo and produced by Lee Scratch Perry. Um, my version, <laughs> I would say, is a sort of, yeah, the surrealist take <laughs> from, from that reggae song. Um, and and that particular song, um, you know, the, the lyrics are sort of talking about fear. The title of the song is called Croaking Lizard. And, um, you know, it's talking a lot about fear. And uh, Romeo um, described, you know, recently in a BBC interview, um, the meaning of that song, you know, the, the devil is everything negative in our minds. Um, you know, the, the sort of ritual of putting on an, an iron shirt is this, this idea of, um, you know, you're, you're, Putting on, you're removing this 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 fear. The shirt is the strength of the spirit, um, you know. Sort of allows us to kind of get through through this state. Um, you know that kind of particular tone and and um, the kind of that monotone chant-like um, recitation really came from um, one of my favorite pieces. And when when you see the film, I'll definitely talk mo- you know more about it on Sunday at the Q and A. Um, Samuel Beckett, his, his play What Where um, for, for, for TV um, it was first um, it was the version that, that I really like was the presentation for this German uh, television station where you see these four disembodied faces engage, uh, sort of engage in a cycle of interrogation and the play um, begins with a voice issuing this, this sort of monotone command like statement from a dimly lit megaphone um, you know, so it was definitely blending that 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 sort of uh, reference from the the Beckett What Where play and combining that with uh, this this reggae song um, and yeah, it it, it was a, a lot of fun and you know that this that this idea of, of of the lizard in Jamaican culture um, is definitely something um, you know growing up, so many people <laughs> are afraid of lizards. <laughs> um you know especially the the croaking lizard which is really really big and um you know i definitely to to this day i'm you know i i feel like i've i'm at a at a stage where i'm, I'm not so afraid of lizards anymore but I, I still kind of carry that fear and i would like <laughs> to be at one with lizards um you know but then thinking of, thinking again with with the the, the reggae song and that kind of reference, you know, the, the lizard is definitely also this kind of metaphor, you know, for, for just sort of fear in, in, in general
0: and then this idea of overcoming fear. That's very cool. So wh- what do you hope people take away that see this film? I've, I watched the trailer that you sent. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's very abstract. It's black and white, nonlinear. linear. Repeating gestures and symbols. The lizard is there, but also these characters that mm-hmm. have multiple iterations, right. shadows. Right. I, I mean, I definitely in,
4: in a lot of my work, I, I you know, I'm really interested in the uncanny. You know, sort of creating these these moments, these these spaces for you to just sort of enter a piece and be with it. Um, you know, fragmentation is something I think about a lot. Uh, the sort of incomplete statements, incomplete sentences. You know, um, Kafka is somebody I I love a lot. This idea of minor literature, where you you're sort of getting getting inside of the image, getting inside of the voice. Um, so what I really want people to 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 sort of take away is you know sort of be be with this film, uh, hear the voice um and um you know there's definitely bringing in this 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 sort of uh relationship idea of of, of the lizard and you know this brief moment of of Jamaican
0: <laughs> culture yeah that's very cool and Amir's calling in now there you are hi welcome I'm glad you're here
5: yeah uh, thanks for having me
0: I would love for you to tell us the context uh the ideas that inspired black radical imagination to begin with how what took you there
5: Uh well simply it was our like imagination to begin with uh it was myself Aaron Cristoval who's the, who's a co-curator who's a who's a, like, based out of LA we uh, like started like thinking about just things that that like we we, like, we're not seeing as uh, like black film programmers and like film festivals or like special screenings and th- just like the representation of uh, like black people in cinema and we wanted to create like black radical black like, imagination as this uh, like touring program to uh, to, uh, to pretty much like expose these films to uh, like more people and also give give exposure to all the artists involved
0: I think it's really great. Do you want to give us an idea of the other uh, films that we're going to be experiencing on Sunday?
5: Yeah, the other films you'll be seeing will be called like the Golden Chain, which is a film uh, by uh, like, border and Ezra Clayton Daniels, and it basically tells the story of this uh, of this uh, like European like creation myth. And uh, like another film you'll see is called Field Notes. Like uh, Field Notes is a like visual and like. Uh, oral field guide to uh, like paranormal um, activities on the island of uh of, island of uh, like Trinidad, and um these two films along with uh like Jamila's film and also like an additional film that we, like announced the day of the screening um they all represent different things of like mythology and also uh like like pathological like communication um and yeah, also like identity, um, they all like nestle within those themes.
0: That sounds awesome, and I'm really looking forward, we're all looking forward to seeing uh, this uh, screens at Miami Beach Cinematheque on November 6th. Uh, thank you, Natalia, Domingo, Amir, and Sabila for being with us today. I want us to listen to one more section of Koenig sections. <laughs> As we prepare for our next guest. Thank
4: you. Thank you, Thank Kathy. You. Thank you, Kathy.
0: Bird, and you're listening to the Fresh Art International show on joltradio.org in Miami, Florida. The show features conversations about contemporary art, film, and architecture from around the globe. And today we're talking about Black contemporary art. Our next guest is showing the work of Black artists during Miami Art Week. I'd say the ideal outcome of the Miami Art Week uh, as a project for the city would be to introduce and reinforce the value of art in the global economy. And the event brings more than 170,000 people to Miami, art lovers, collectors, gallerists, artists, and curators to Miami uh, for contemporary art exhibitions, performance events, and art fairs. And Miami Art Week takes place the first week of December every year since 2002, And the biggest fair by far is Art Basel, Miami Beach. It's the U.S. version of an art fair that's taken place for decades in Basel, Switzerland. There are more than 25 satellite fairs presented around Miami, and all are vying for our attention. Our next guest, Mikael Solomon, aims to draw attention to black art in her fair called the Prism Art Fair. Mikael was born and raised in Miami, Florida— Her parents are from St. Kitts and Nevis. I've been there. It's gorgeous. In the Caribbean. She currently lives in Miami. And she's director and founder of PRISM, an art fair that she founded in 2013. Welcome, Mikael. Thank you for having me, Kathy. I'm really happy to have this chance to talk to you about this project that is a passion for you. Mm -hmm. And I'd love for you to tell us more about PRISM, what it is. What's the mission of this fair um so essentially um as you as you mentioned
6: um I began it in twenty thirteen um after having worked with artists and other projects supplemental projects that I worked to prior to founding the fair and um in working with you know artists prior to founding the fair i I realized that I really enjoyed it and wanted to create a a strong platform for um, artists of African and, um, from Africa and of African descent around the globe. Um, and I just I'd been to several art fairs and, and realized I, I wasn't seeing a strong representation or a larger representation um, of artists fr- in these spaces. So I thought that um, perhaps creating a venue and a platform for it would be a great way to draw more attention to um, uh, creatives that are, are addressing really poignant issues. Um, that not only uh, affect people um, of African descent, but I think some of the issues that peop- that, de- that de- these creatives are addressing are relevant to anybody. It um, doesn't really matter um, which, which cultural space you um, inhabit. Um, so I, I, I think that um, the programming that we've had thus far has been um, compelling for, for many people, and I'm hoping this year's um, uh, presentation will be just as important for uh, um, people who attend
0: and most art fairs that I know of present, they have spaces for galleries. Each one has its own little exhibition space. And your, your fair is representing artists. Mm-hmm. Individual artists have their sections in the fair. Mm-hmm. What made you choose to work with artists this way instead of through galleries? Mm-hmm. Well, I think
6: the original segue into into modeling the fair that way was that I was working with a lot of my uh, Miami artists who didn't have gallery representation. Um, they were just sort of, you know, finding their own spaces and creating their own artistic interventions wherever possible. And so I just, you know, worked with them directly. And in expanding my reach beyond Miami, I realized that a lot of artists, you um, know, um, in, in the diasporic um, space, d- don't have gallery representation, so it just made it a little bit more difficult for them to have a space for visibility on a on a global on a global scale. So I just decided, well, maybe I should just you know uh, create the space for emerging and established artists who want who, who are willing to work within this uh, platform um, to show their work at. A time when everybody kind of comes together globally to Miami um, to see to see work. Um, so I think that was the original impetus for um, creating a model this, this way.
0: And how many artists approximately are in your show, and what countries are represented this year?
6: Right. Um, so in the years prior, we had we usually have about thirty. We we usually have about thirty um, artists, um, but this year we've we've with the support of our our, um, our, our donors, like the Knight Foundation and the Green Family Foundation and Rush Philanthropic Foundation, we, we were able to invite a lot more. Like about 60 artists, I think, would be in the fair this year. Um, and that includes performance um, artists as well as... Um, um, visual artists. Um, so we will have artists from Haiti, from Nigeria, from the Caribbean, including St. Martin, St. Kitts, um, which I'm really excited about. <laughs> um, um, we'll have artists from Jamaica, um, the United States, of course, a lot of artists from New York, and artists from who, who, who are of African descent um, from New York City and Chicago will be in in the fair as well. We um, have a few West coasters in the art fair this year, too, um, from San Diego. Um, so it's a really, it, it, it's kind of growing both in geographic region and as well as number, in numbers.
0: Mm-hmm. That's cool. And I know that you've invited William Cordova, mm-hmm. a Miami-based artist, mm-hmm. to create a small
1: Special Exhibition projects. of sorts,
0: special project. Um, uh, tell me about what he'll be presenting. He titled it "Indivisible." Indivisible.
6: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he titled it "Indivisible." Um, so William, um, among the artists that he's actually curated into the fair, um, have all been residents of the Joan Mitchell Foundation and um, um, their artist-in-residency program, and um, so the That project is sort of a not only a representation of them but um as a cohort, but also uh just showing the the fabric um, that exists amongst people of color mm-hmm. um which I think that's the reason for the name indivisible um, uh so yeah the I think many of them were in um were in the air program uh, like over the course of three years or so, and he brought them together to right. show at Prism. Mm-hmm.
0: He also mentions the Headland Art Center mm-hmm. and Studio Museum in Harlem right. and the Franklin Space. So all of these are uh, spaces that encourage, cultivate residency mm-hmm. programs to support Black artists. Yeah, absolutely, which I think is really critically important and. Mm-hmm. That artists of any color actually have that kind of support system, and those have in particular mm-hmm. left a mark in in preparing some great careers.
6: Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, uh, that was really the crux over the beginning of our conversation. Um, William mentioned how important residency programs have been for him in his personal growth and nurturing his own um, career. And many of the artists, as you mentioned, um, that are a a part of his cohort in the fair, um, have benefited greatly from participating not only in the Joan Mitchell Center um, program, but several Um, In addition, Um, so he's actually writing a a much longer piece that will be in our catalog that really discusses um, the importance of participating in them um, in art artist residency programs and encouraging artists to actually um, build those relationships with those programs. Mm -hmm.
0: I noticed when I was reading about what you have planned for this year that you do have, like many art fairs, have begun to present programs, not just display art but all kinds of programs with performances and panel discussions Mm -hmm. why don't you share with us some of the events that will take place during your fair which by the way runs longer than art week it it runs for a full two weeks i think right
6: Mm -hmm. Um, because i'm from miami I, i i figured um and i just noticed there's just so much so it's like a, you're, you're overstimulated during Art Basel Week. And um, so I figured it might be um, to the benefit of our audience, our patrons, and the artists to give people a little bit more time to interact with our programming. Um, so uh, this year, um, as I mentioned earlier, we do have a performance section that includes uh, Nugent Smith and um, Ayana Evans who will be doing two separate performances um, one that focuses on um, Nugent's um, both Haitian and he's Haitian and Trinidadian but he's focusing more so on his Haitian um, ethnic background which is you know very much so um, connected to the Miami space he has family here um, and uh, he didn't really grow up learning very much about about his heritage in that space so he's sort of using the pa- this the piece to simultaneously um learn more about um that part of his um his heritage and t- to connect um the patrons and the um the, the, the viewers of the of the performance to the the Haitian cultural heritage. And additionally, because the art fair is actually in a largely um, Haitian community, I think people in that space, will all when, when they attend, they'll also really um, relate to the work. And Ayana um, Evans is also um, doing another piece, which is has a very interesting title. It's called uh, "Girl, I'll Drink Your Bathwater," and it's it's sort of a play on um, a Southern sort of slang that um, a lot of um, young men use <laughs> when they're addressing women. You know, they, so she's dealing with sort of like gender politics treatment of, you know, beauty politics, how, um, genders, um, collaborate and, or not collaborate, but interact. Um, she's also, um, talking about, um, beauty standards, um, so it's it's a multi it's a very multi-layered piece that addresses many things, even spiritual healing. She's cleansing herself during the piece. She is actually drinking this water that's supposed to be represent a metaphor for many different things. And I guess it just depends on uh, the viewer's perspective what you interpret that as. Um, so it it it, it gives um, it gives the the viewer an opportunity to just kind of think of it from many different perspectives it might actually be jarring to some it might be, be, be very relevant to some in, in a very um, emotional way um, so I thought it's a, it's a good piece that kind of pushes the envelope um, and then beyond that, we have um, two dinner events. One at our um, at our space. That's going to be including um, Copper Door, which is a a B and B project, a uh, bed and breakfast project that um, um, is going to be spearheaded by Aquino West and Jamila Ross. They're I think they're both from New York, but they're um, transplants. They, they they came to Miami Well, oh, no, Jamila, I'm sorry, is from New York, and Aquino's from Miami, and. Um, Um, Aquino's actually uh, uh, executive sous-chef at uh, Verde at PAM, and so he's uh, working with Jamila to create a bed and breakfast project, and they're going to be serving their curated menus at both of the dinners
0: that's very cool mm-hmm. and I noticed you have one event on a boat on the science barge. yeah yeah so the that's m- the one I want to go to yeah
3: yeah
6: that's it's
0: good be me on the list
6: <laughs> um, so that's actually a project that um, one of our collaborators um, his name is Taeb Smith and a couple of friends of his they they met every single year for the past couple um, uh, couple years just to sit around and talk about art um, inclusion in the art mm-hmm. world yeah um, Diversity in the art space, and so we they, they this is something they just kind of were playing around with, and uh, it's called famous art critics, um, and so they were they, they said well why don't we just try to do something like really nice and and so the Miami Science Barge was, was, was they they've been great in collaborating with us on putting this event together so we're looking forward to inviting folks to enjoy that it be it's about sixty people on on this barge um, that. Will also be include um, the Copper Doors curated dinner. Mm-hmm.
0: Sounds delicious. Yeah. <laughs> I was wondering. Uh, you you mentioned the location of the fair. You that's one one thing you've done every year is present the fair in a different part of the city. Mm-hmm. And this year, where will we find so Prism? It-
6: Prism will be located in the Little River like on the cusp of Little River and Little Haiti, right on North Miami Court, which is right off of North Miami Avenue. Um just a cup like one block west of North Miami Avenue. If you North Miami Avenue is sort of the spine of um of Miami. It's a, so it's a very easy boulevard to kind of find everything from. Um so yeah, it's 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 gonna be in Little River, Little Haiti. Um um at seventy two thirty northwest um miami
0: court I'm thinking you're going to have a great year i i, 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 I don't want to think i want to know it's <laughs> be a great year. well I, I what ways do you think that prism will transcend the expectations of people who go to art fairs during miami art week this year
6: um, i think in in general um at least I, this is this is always my hope. I feel like um, Prism is a very um, familial space. Um, I I try to develop an experience that anybody can come and enjoy, and so I, I hope that this year people will really be moved by it in a way that sort of transforms the way they the, the, the way people think about a number of things. Um, I, I'm hoping, I think the work that we've curated into to the show this year is um, very transformative and um, the the performance pieces I'm, I'm really excited about. It, actually, Nugent's work, um, he's creating this work specifically for Prism. So I'm actually very excited to see what he comes up with. So we're, we're as we mentioned earlier, he's sort of taking a risk and I'm taking a risk and sort of not knowing what he's going to develop. Um, I, I i i try to i think i am pretty um pretty exploratory in in the way i approach the development of the fair um i try not to put myself too much in a in a bubble and i Try to do things in a very organic way, and I think the the, the experience will feel organic as, but it, s- organic but structured at the same time. Um, so I, I mean, I, I hope that the p- the takeaway from patrons is very positive. Um, it has been in the past, and I hope to continue um, in that
0: direction. Well, thank you so much for being with me today on this show,
6: Mikel. Thank you so much for having me again. And I wish Kathy. you all
0: the best for your art fair this year. Thank you. We are broadcasting live from the studio at Jolt Radio. Tune in each Wednesday for our contemporary art talk show. You may be aware that it is an election year in the United States. And before I leave you, I want to remind all registered voters in the United States, and especially in Florida, to vote in the 2016 presidential election next Tuesday, November 8th. Early voting is an option. It's open and will be available to you through Sunday. You can look online to find out where to go. And I have produced, for Fresh Art International, for my podcast, I've produced a special pre-election episode that will air tomorrow, November 3rd. Uh, I recorded the episode during Common Field a couple of weeks ago, you heard the guests uh, on our show, they brought people f- that have had experience presenting difficult art, uh, working with controversial subjects, and and uh, censorship. And Martha Wilson, my guest on the show, on the podcast, mm-hmm. is someone with a great deal of experience in presenting provocative art. Her political performance art for this pre-election season is particularly entertaining. In the past, she has presented political satire representing different presidents' wives. (laughs) And this year, she has taken on Donald Trump. And she is performing part of her uh, live performance that she's been presenting in New York on this episode that I invite you to listen to on freshartinternational.com and on the podcast platforms including iTunes, SoundCloud, Android, Google Music Play, and more. I'm Kathy Bird, and this is Fresh Art International on joltradio.org. Today we revisit contemporary art and the black imagination a show we streamed on Jolt Radio, November 2nd, 2016. This August, we're exploring sites of creativity in New York, New England, and the Mid-Atlantic. While we're away, listen for a selection of episodes from the rich audio archive we've been creating since 2011. Visit our website to learn more, and hear other voices from the world of contemporary art. Please take a few minutes to review us on Apple Podcasts and follow our podcast on Instagram at freshartintl. The John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, Emily Hall Tremaine Foundation, Locust Projects and the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts, the International Association of Curators of Contemporary Art, and listeners like you make this Oral History Project possible. On our website, you'll find the opportunity to support our stories. Stay tuned for more Contemporary Art Talk.